Welcome to Periods, Poos and Pimples. My name is Jacinta and I'm the founder and nutritionist of Arenda Women's Health, an online clinic specializing in all things skin, gut and reproductive health. This podcast is for all women who have ever had some level of confusion in regards to their health. Whether you're battling with a skin condition, menstrual cycle disorder, fertility issues or gut issues and you just want to understand what is going on and what you need to do from people who know what they're talking about. In each episode, I'll be speaking with experts in the realm of women's health to give you the highest level of education that you'll need to develop a deeper connection with yourself and your body. Although this information will be super insightful, this information is not for diagnostic or treatment purposes. And please ensure you speak with your medical professional before implementing any treatment protocols. Please do keep in mind, as we may refer to research or specific pathophysiology of conditions, when we're referencing male or female, it is specific to the gender that's assigned at birth and pronouns used are specific to the individual discussed. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to you joining us on this journey. Today's episode is for all the new mums or mums-to-be ready to learn as much as they can for their breastfeeding journey. We are joined by IBCLC lactation consultant, endorsed midwife, and naturopath Jolene. Jolene has had over 13 years of experience supporting breastfeeding families and working in the realm of pregnancy and postpartum care. With her combined knowledge of midwifery, naturopathy, and IBCLC lactation consulting, Jolene helps parents feel guided and confident in their breastfeeding journey. Jolene offers in-home consultations for parents in Melbourne, and for those outside of her visit zone, she offers her services virtually. In today's episode, we're going to become breastfeeding experts, as Jolene will delve right into the complications faced during breastfeeding, how to optimize supply and navigate the obstacles that arise. So thank you for joining us today, Jolene. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, So can you please explain exactly what an IBCLC consultant is? My tongue tires always get muddled up when I say that. And the difference between what a lactation consultant is. Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a great place to start. So the acronym IBCLC means Internationally Board Certified Lactation Consultant, and that Mm -hmm. is um, an American regulating body for lactation consultants internationally. And you have to go through an examination process to get the initial qualification and to maintain that acronym in your qualification, you need to recertify either by that same exam every five years or a certain amount of professional development ongoing learning points Mm -hmm. so that's the difference and then basically anyone can call themselves a lactation consultant because it's not a strictly regulated profession so that's why we really want to push for um, consumers and clients to be seeing somebody with their IBCLC acronym attached to their name. Mm -hmm. I guess it's almost quite similar to nutrition in the sense that it's not so regulated or even naturopathy. Some people could do like a super short course, call Mm -hmm. themselves a naturopath and you're like, well, are you actually one that has a registration, has an association, constantly renewing CPE points to show that you're up to date with the latest knowledge? And I guess with this, it's probably just to make sure that those who are breastfeeding are in contact with someone who has a high level of knowledge that is constantly up to date with, I guess, the new advancements that are coming out and um, to be able to support them as much as I can. That is exactly right. Yeah. So with 
working in the realm of lactation support, what are some of the most common challenges that you see that breastfeeding mothers face? Mm, good question. There are a lot of challenges and I think it's a very unknown experience. If you haven't breastfed before, you don't quite know what to expect. Um, one of the biggest things I see is sore nipples. So mums come to me, you know, it can be quite early on after birth or it can be a few weeks and they're just not getting that, what we call the fit and hold or the latch, basically a breastfeeding technique. They're not able to get that to a point where it feels comfortable and they're sustaining a bit of damaged skin on their nipples. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're you're breastfeeding around eight times every 24 hours. It's very relentless. You know, there's not much downtime between breastfeeds. So it's like if you're repeatedly having um a you know an uncomfortable experience then that can produce quite a bit of anxiety and you know we want breastfeeding to be enjoyable a time of bonding a sense of satisfaction from nourishing your baby in the most unique way um that your body can so that is it's really um not nice to see these mums feeling uncomfortable so They come and see me um, quite often. It's related to how the latch is working. So I um, support them through positioning their baby in a way that feels more comfortable. And often, you know, if we're experiencing 10 out of 10 pain with um, a breastfeed before they come and see me, we can bring that pain score right down with some individualized positioning for that baby to that mom's body. Mm -hmm. So that would be one of the big things I see. And then another thing I see is babies that are having what we call a triple feeding plan. So it's where the mum will be doing some some form of breastfeeding. She'll be doing what we call like a top up, so a small amount of milk with a bottle. And then she'll be doing some pumping as well. And that milk she's pumping, she's feeding at the next feed. So you've got that one, two, three stage mm-hmm. of um, each feed and it's, it's hugely intense. It's so time consuming. Um, it's almost these, a full time job. Just like oh, dedicated more than to that. make yeah. yeah, just dedicated yeah. to because because you're waking up, like no job requires you to wake up in the middle of the night to do something. Yeah. But this it does. Definitely. And it's not it's you know, it's very unpredictable. Like you might you you know, it takes a while to figure out how much your baby needs to drink each week. And in those early weeks, it actually increases quite a bit from week to week. So you think you might nail it and have it all figured out and then they have a Mm. bit of a growth spurt and then you're, you know, figuring it all out again. So um, they can actually wake earlier than what what you're sort of anticipating. Um, And if we're talking about a triple feeding routine, sometimes that's taking an hour, hour 15, and that's for someone who's really onto it and moving through each stage really efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's when things are feeling a bit complicated. So I would help parents with that, uh, weaning the top-ups, weaning the pumping or making the pumping just more effective and more sustainable for them. Um, and then I guess supply issues is another one. So either too much milk or not enough milk. So they both have their um, their cons, I guess. So too much milk um, means that the breasts are really full. The mum's a bit more at risk of um, breast inflammation. So Historically, it's been known as blocked duct, so mm-hmm. where milk is kind of stuck and not flowing and it causes the breast to become a bit locally inflamed uh, and it can lead to an infection called mastitis and a lot of mums-to-be or breastfeeding mums have heard about mastitis and are quite quite nervous about it happening to them, which is understandable. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the symptoms are um, redness, pain, swelling, 
um, discomfort in the breast and it can cause the supply to decrease because it's an essentially inflammation with an infection brewing. So your body is really working on sending all its resources to deal with the mastitis. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that if your body's busy and sending its resources elsewhere, the milk supply can suffer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. That can happen with oversupply. And then also if the milk is coming out of the breast at a quite a fast rate, it's quite hard for the baby to keep up with. So it's like imagine that you're drinking Every time you have a meal or have a drink, you have to have it really, really fast or not at all. Um, So it leads to a lot of digestive discomfort and babies that just come off the breast and they really are upset, but they're clearly still wanting to eat, but it's just, you know, flooding at them and they Mm -hmm. um, can be really gassy and just really uncomfortable for quite a while. So it's really confusing behavior to manage because you're thinking, why, you know, why aren't you wanting to eat or why are you so uncomfortable every time after you have a feed? So there's ways we can manage that by tweaking that breastfeeding position and the mum and baby's posture. Um, and then the undersupply, so either perceived, so the mum's just not confident that her baby's getting enough um, or she's, you know, it's very hard to sort of gain that confidence with how much supply or, you know, how much um are you making the right amount of milk for your baby? Because it's all very hidden and it's not, um, you know, there's no sort of meter on the breast of full versus mm-hmm. empty, like the petrol um, petrol gauge on our car. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a process that takes a lot of observation and um, the intuition needs to grow um, and, and take time to develop. So I think a lot of mums are feeling not so confident with that initially mm. and just, learn, you know, learning to take time to trust their bodies and their babies. Yeah. Um, or if we've got a case of genuine low supply that can be brought on by hormonal conditions like hypothyroidism, if the mum's had um, gestational diabetes in the pregnancy, that can also um, sort of delay or, or slow down milk supply. Um, in those early stages and then also I find nutrition is a huge component of that and stress so if we're not managing our stress properly naturally early parenthood is a time of high stress you know adapting to that sleep deprivation adapting to just how dependent your newborn baby is um, and just your new role as parents is hugely stressful mm-hmm. but yeah also that uh like incorporating your nutrition and your self-care like you before you have a baby have all the time in the world and when you have a baby you have no time (laughs) it changes completely yeah yeah Yeah. so it takes time to um get those self-care practices um readjusted to what that you know Mm. parenting role is looking like yeah and i think all this information is so important for people to be aware of even before they arise with the complications i think that's an important thing to take into consideration because you know i know even sometimes when i'm speaking with my clients even when i know they're like you know that at the end of their labor or they might be breastfeeding i'm like you need to see an ibcrc and they're like oh once if there's issues then i'll see someone mm-hmm. i'm like well you could probably prevent the issues from happening if you're learning the different signs like you said about becoming in- 
intuitive with their body reading the signs. And if it's the first time someone's breastfeed, then they're probably not so much aware of the little signs or symptoms to kind of look out for to see things are changing unless they've got that kind of guiding support with them. But being able to have someone that actually can guide them through it, say, hey, these are the little orange flags to maybe look out for so they don't become red flags. Mm -hmm. These are the things that you need to intervene with so we could make that orange flag a green flag and everything's cool and calm then we can probably prevent things like you said like the mastitis and the issues um, that can arise that can maybe stop a mum from breastfeeding because it causes that more stress and everything that can come alongside having the complications yeah I'm such a fan of being proactive with your education and I so agree that breastfeeding services are just so undervalued I think Mm. That's my main challenge as a breastfeeding consultant is how do I communicate just how effective my services can be? Like I know for when clients, you know, I get beautiful testimonials from clients all the time who mm-hmm. speak to the fact that they're just so amazed at how much I help them and relieved all their stress and su- made That's them incredible. feel so, su- so supported. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, when you do find that right professional, it can just make the biggest difference and, just like having a great naturopath to support you with all your health challenges is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. Not waiting until that till it gets really till there's hard. a problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and then you're like weeks into it and you've tried to solve it on your own or got, gone down like a Google rabbit hole or trying to figure out the ways to do it. But Google doesn't know your body in the way that you do or the way that a professional can assess you. That's right, and there's just so many forms of information on google that are not from great sources so it's yeah. you know is it anecdotal is it one mum's experience or you know are you re- mm. you know are you reading are you deep diving into a forum or are you reading really good evidence and even with research as we know like that has varying degrees of quality as well so i think having someone to do all that head work for you you know you, you don't really want to be in an ad- analytical phase you you want to be out of that out of that sort of really thinking part of your brain you want to be in that instinctive bonding um mm. relaxing part of your brain when you're in early motherhood not kind of scarring the internet in the middle of the night with all that blue light coming at you yeah. on your cell phone <laughs> and it impacts <laughs> your hormones and your sleep exactly. quality yeah, yeah. I think the point that you made about like that one mum's experience is important. How you said like it's just, you know, something you're reading is just one person and what's happened to them. And I want to delve into that a little bit because I'm sure every mum's experience can be quite unique and that there's not exactly one linear pattern that it should follow when you're starting your breastfeeding journey. So are we able to debunk some norms or some myths around breastfeeding to help those that are listening to feel more at ease with like the expectations that they have on themselves for their breastfeeding journey? Yeah, I think this is a really good question. I think I see mums really stumble where they just assume breastfeeding is going to be easy because Partially, everyone's a bit hung up on getting the baby out. You know, like that's a, that's a huge deal. It's a very life-changing process, no matter if it's a cesarean, vaginal birth, home birth, whatever whatever you choose to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, there's this assumption because breastfeeding is a natural process that it's going to unfold really naturally. But it's not quite the case. I think, you know, historically when we were raised in a more village style, um, you know, had breastfeeding family members around us right from when we were younger, you know, and, and getting a lot of that kind of passive knowledge of breastfeeding, that was when maybe we could anticipate things being a bit more um, natural and just having mm-hmm. a bit more sort of already 
learned knowledge just sitting in our minds and in our bodies. But I think, you know, we've got parents really starting from scratch. Like often it's the first time they're holding a baby. It's their own baby. So it's just such a huge um, amount of information to learn as well as the whole process of the emotional process of becoming a parent and even what pregnancy, um, the brain changes that happen in pregnancy as well. So I think it's just good to kind of set the scene with that. I think Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that impacts your breastfeeding um, journey is your baby's temperament. So, and that's a very unknown factor. You don't know what kind of baby you're going to get until you, you actually can't meet them. That. Yeah, there's no exactly. there's no nutrient or herb that's going to pretend, <laughs> you know, prepare your body for what's to come. Exactly. So there's um you know there's three different types of temperament. So there's more of a relaxed kind of um I guess calm temperament, and then there's more of a I don't really like to say fussy or describe babies as a negative um, in negative ways. I don't think that it is positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but babies that are just um, a little bit more impatient or a little bit more unsettled, and they just ha- take, you know, they're just very highly attached and want to want to have that proximity and that closeness all the time to stay really regulated. Um, or there's the babies that are, you know, maybe a little bit challenging at start, but then they start to mellow out. And they, you know, things things kind of um, settle down as the baby grows. So, yeah, it's kind of, I see, obviously I see more babies with a more fussy style temperaments. I think they potentially are the ones that are a little bit more challenging to breastfeed. It's like that zero to a hundred um, hunger. They want to be fed yesterday. It's quite overwhelming yeah. and stressful for the mums. And I think if you're, learning um your breastfeeding technique and your baby's flailing their arms around and crying and screaming that's going to dial you um Mm -hmm. and your stress response up a bit as well so having some tips to deal with that is always good and then i guess something that parents can expect to be told in hospital is to feed their baby every three to four hours and babies have no idea what the clock is so they are just run by instinct so i think in, in the sense of maybe expecting seven or eight feeds in 24 hours, that's a more um, realistic way to go about it. It might look like a few periods of very intense snacking and then a, maybe a longer stretch of sleep. So more sprinkled throughout the day rather than that clockwork three to four hourly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that, does that then mean that I guess when mums are breastfeeding, I know some mums, for example, say, okay, let's just le- let the baby sleep. And then when they wake up, then we'll feed them. And whereas there's some mums that are like, no, it's three hours. Let's wake them up. We need to feed them now. Are there some things that I guess right or wrong about that? It depends. Um, I can't give you a black and white answer because if you have a baby that's maybe smaller, so so below average birth weight, they're actually going to need to have a more routine approach to being fed. Um, mm-hmm. You're being more proactive at getting the calories and the nutrients into them um, in you know a really timely way. But if you've got a baby who's a bit more robust, a bit larger, they've got more fat reserve, they can go that extra hour of longer sleep if they're wanting to. I think that's fine. I just like to um, zoom out, look at the bigger picture. Is your baby napping all day and then making up for it at night? That to me is something that we can work on and get that circadian rhythm a bit more in line with what the adults are doing. Um, You know, like it's normal to expect that your sleep is going to be broken and disrupted, particularly in that first six weeks. Like babies don't know what night and day is and it's Mm -hmm. that programming 
from the breast milk, from the environmental light that takes time to really imprint and get that circadian rhythm kick-started in your baby. But there are ways to kind of maybe be a bit more proactive with waking during the day mm-hmm. and then let your baby um, more do the demand feeding at night and let them wake up and have those longer stretches of sleep if they're able to do so. Yeah, I guess this is why it comes really down to being intuitive with your body and intuitive with your baby, reading the signs and knowing that there doesn't have to follow that linear pattern. And, the, you know, yeah. you could, because I know a lot of people that generally when they're having a baby, there's always someone around that's having a baby at the same time, whether it's a, a good friend of theirs, a cousin, a sister or whatever it might be. And it's not always going to be the same as the person next to them. Definitely. I think, yeah, I think even when like mother's groups in Melbourne, they typically start around eight weeks. Mm. So the councils wait until there's enough mums to to start a group. So you might be, your baby might be a lot older, not, not really doing what all the other babies are doing. But I think the, it's nice to chat and learn from other mums, but it's also, there's that really, um, anxiety, um, kind of point with the comparison. Um, and you know, good babies versus difficult babies, like those conversations can be a little bit toxic, I find. And yeah. I think, you know, it, yeah, it can really cause a lot of self doubt to creep in. Um, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, before you went to that mother's group, you're actually feeling okay and you and your baby are getting along yeah. just fine. Yeah, that's it. And then I guess that's when other things come in, then you start to question the knowledge that you've built on for those eight weeks. It's like, well, no one's going to know your baby better than you by that point. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like you're at your wit's end with trying to find the solution for your acne? We know it can be so frustrating when the only treatment you've been offered is Roaccutane, Doxycycline or the pill. But every time you get off, you're back at square one. We know the foolproof and flawless formula that works and we have it all in a six-month program just for you. That's half a year of one-on-one support with a skin-specializing naturopath. You'll have all the testing, fortnightly check-ins, meal plans, 12-plus hours of educational content. You name it, we cover it. Head to our website to book in a discovery call to get you signed up for our next intake of the Acne Solution. So what are then some of the statistics in Australia with breastfeeding? Yeah, so I think the first um, the first one to, to accept that's really important is that 98% of mums start breastfeeding. So almost 100%, which is amazing. Wow. Um, that's actually quite high. Know, I, I thought it, it would be less. Yeah, it is actually really high. And, um, you know, whether they're intending to just give colostrum um, or whether they're intending to breastfeed for a year and beyond the world health organization recommends to breastfeed for a minimum of six months ideally one year and beyond so there's no mm-hmm. sort of end point uh, the second statistic that's really important is around the three month mark where it actually drops to um 30 percent of mums it's still exclusively breastfeeding so wow. it's a huge drop so you know it's it's really a conversation around why aren't these mums able to continue breastfeeding when they started out wanting to mm-hmm. um and I really think it's a lack of quality support and also a lack of shared responsibility within the community and even globally um like work pol- like returning to work policies you know the lack of maternity leave um mm-hmm. and also just our more 
nuclear type of family that we're growing up in where it's a huge responsibility all on one person. I think mothers really feel the pressure of that. Absolutely. I know that I even see it with so many of my clients that have started their breastfeeding journey and end earlier than they've anticipated because they end up, they're like their mental health just takes an absolute beating because they're like, I I can't, I can't do all this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the mental health is so important. I think, you know, my, my approach and my practice is to be really neutral on people's decisions. I'm obviously going to support breastfeeding where possible, but if their mental health is being affected, we need to have a new conversation. And it's, it's also, you know, mums feel a lot of guilt and, um, Mm. sense of failure. Um, when they, you know, maybe initially start out saying they want to breastfeed for a year and they might get to four weeks and it's just, a lot of emotions to process um mm-hmm. but i think yeah there's there will come to a point where if you're feeling a sense of relief when you're thinking about stopping breastfeeding then that is really worth exploring yeah absolutely so what are some ways that you then help mums or parents prepare for breastfeeding so I run a workshop um, every mm-hmm. second month is an online live workshop. So I talk about everything that I've seen in my practice that parents would need to know before their baby arrives. So I cover off um, breast anatomy, nipple shape that actually can really impact wow. the baby's ability to um, breastfeed. Um, newborn behavior, uh, hand expressing, which is a technique you can do towards the end of your pregnancy to actually manually collect a little bit of um, colostrum that may already be present in the breast. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a nice way to get a little bit of a head start um, for breastfeeding. And um, how to do bottle feeding, what to think about with pumping, a uh, huge um, part of that is nutrition, self- what self-care looks like as new parents when to get help, how to treat sore nipples, there's all sorts of things. But I think any kind of education is good. I think there's a lot of private providers of education. So finding someone online that you really like, that puts out good quality content. I love putting out content on Instagram because it's just bite size. You can save it. You can refer back to it. Mm -hmm. And I find that, you know, during pregnancy, there's not a lot of brain capacity to sit down and read a big long book or (laughs) <laughs> do a Absolutely. whole um, long course like yeah. you said before that most people are actually just thinking about the labor yes and like yeah. that's like that's the first goal post and then it's like cool once the labor's done now we'll start like with the influx of information about breastfeeding but it's like if you're just drip feeding the little kind of important things that are related to breastfeeding whilst they are pregnant then you know you're going to start that journey with a little bit of a head start yeah, definitely. And even if you don't feel like you remember it, if you've bookmarked it or at least know mm. where to go when you do, you do need that. Oh, I need to know that little bit about bottle feeding. Where do I go for that information? Already figuring that out before the time comes is so important because as soon as the birth's over, you're breastfeeding. So there's no time to pause. <laughs> there's no time to read a book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what are some foods and nutrition that can impact and support supply? Yeah, I love, um, I love this part of the conversation. I think um, a lot of your audience will already be following the glucose goddess. Oh, yes, the glucose goddess. Yeah, I I, I get a lot of my clients to implement um, her, um, I think her seven tips. So that, you know, breakfast, protein rich breakfast, Mm -hmm. um, and trying to eat an order of, you know, your fiber, your protein, um, your good fats, and then having your carbs last, if possible. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think is that because you know, blood sugar impacts supply? Yeah, and well, blood sugar impacts hormones, and hormones is mm-hmm. um, will impact your supply. Exactly, exactly, um, and energy levels as well because. Sleep is not a reliable source of renewing your energy when you have a newborn. So eating mm-hmm. well is the the next best thing you can do and it has a positive impact with your milk supply. If your baby's getting really good quality milk, they're, they're going to be more nourished and that will have a more positive effect on their sleep and then that has a more positive effect on your sleep. So it's all connected. Um, and I just think having um, that extra awareness of how many calories you need, they, they sort of say it's an extra 500 calories a day, but I think that it's more than that mm-hmm. um, because it's breastfeeding is the time in your life where you need the most calories ever. And they say it's like equivalent to a professional athlete. So wow. you can't just go back to your pre-pregnancy diet your body's making breast milk, like almost a liter of breast milk. So it's a whole additional function. It's, um, yeah, so it, does, it takes That's a lot insane. of energy. It is. That's so yeah. much. Like, you know, even to put it into perspective, like 500 calories for those that I guess are listening that don't really track calories or have an idea of what that looks like, that can, that can look like for some people if they're eating quite light meals, that could almost be two meals and a snack or mm-hmm. it could be an extra two larger meals. Like, you know, a piece of steak and veg and yep. a little bit more is probably almost equivalent yeah. to about 500 calories. Yep. So I like to go for nutrient-dense foods. So like mm. your your um, like liver, your bone broth, lots of like slow-cooked meats, adding the collagen into the stews, that kind of thing. Um, I love even infusing um like nettle tea using that as your your stock or your or your broth and into your curry or your stew whatever you're eating so the more the way you can kind of smuggle all of that nutrition um into your food the more it's gonna um just help with that breast milk quality and your energy levels Mm. yeah and then hydration as well so usually around three liters of water a day depending on your body weight obviously and um how hot you are but if you're sacrificing a liter of um breast milk um you know a liter of fluid as breast milk a day breast milk is 80 percent um water so that's a a lot of extra water that's basically Mm. just leaving your body it's not even for you Yes. So just to reiterate some of those points from the glucose goddess that you said are incredible to help with your milk supply. So we've got lots of protein for breakfast, so protein-rich brekkie. We've got the order of how you're eating, so the protein or or fiber, fats and carbs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the same as like, you know, if you're going to have a sweet to have that after a meal at the end of a plate or at the end of a a meal. Um, The others is the apple cider vinegar. Before yeah, I don't I don't demands. get parents to worry about that too much. Like I think yeah. just like I show her show them um her content and pick pick what's gonna be easy for you to action because mm. it's not really the right time in life to be getting someone to do their perfect diet. Yeah. But I think pulling that breakfast forward, avoiding brunch, mm. um, avoiding coffee before breakfast, just just being mindful of keeping that blood sugar pretty stable and like I, you know, everyone is obsessed with having muesli or porridge for breakfast with not yeah. not a lot of like good no fat. No protein. Or, yeah, yeah. There's, there's fiber, but there's just way too much carb. So, mm. um, trying to you know put a hard boiled egg before the the porridge if they don't really don't want to let that go, or you know having moving the muesli to after the 
after the breakfast like kind of like having a second mm-hmm. breakfast i think if you're trying to get those extra calories in and you're 24 hours having two breakfasts is quite reasonable and i find a lot of clients are actually wanting to do that mm. um and usually like your breakfast is when your baby after they've had a breastfeed they might have a good sleep so it's a great time to get on board with your nutrition for the day put your dinner in the slow cooker um you know have have something defrosting for lunch um getting that second breakfast in or even if it's a a protein rich smoothie that is um a really great time to just set yourself up for the day Mm. are there some tips that you often give to to new mums to try to maintain their diet because i guess that's one thing that will probably fall to the side because they're so i guess busy like yeah. doing so many things. I know that I, I recorded a, a podcast with Lexi who's um also works with breastfeeding and she mentioned something about the meal trains and yes. how like you can do the meal trains like for new mums and yeah. ba- basically you just get food almost delivered to your front door, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of setting up a meal train. So that's something you would do well as part of what we call postpartum planning. So if you have a doula, I mean I talk about this with my clients as well. It's just you know, if you can do some meal prep yourself towards the end of your pregnancy, if you're, you know, able to be on your feet like that, um, getting that freezer filled up, but also, yeah, Meal Train is an external website where someone can set it up for you. You just put a few dietary requirements and, you know, it can be every night of the week. It could be every second or every third night. And it just helps to take that pressure off that new um, couple, like that new parenting couple having to, not only look after the baby, get their head around being super tired and then think of what to buy, cook for dinner, all of that. just um, helps kind of keep that home-cooked meals um, in the forefront because I find if parents are resorting to Uber Eats or takeaways, it's just mm-hmm. the nutrition, um, you know, is going pretty downhill and also Absolutely. it's expensive. It's not, a, Very it's not expensive. an efficient, cost-effective way to be eating. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that. And I love, I'm a huge fan of, um, an electric pressure cooker. I have one and I yeah. use it all the time. So I, you can do a curry in 20 minutes. You can let wow. things, um, you don't really have to stir cause it's nonstick. So you can cook something early in the day and it'll just keep it warm for the whole day. So what I find happens is around, you know, you might be trying to have your dinner around five, six o'clock. Your baby's hungry. They're a bit grisly. They need all the attention. You don't get to have your dinner till eight or nine. It's going to keep your meal warm that entire time. So there's no having to reheat or feeling stressed that you're not getting to your food in time. Um, so I think are, that that is a great awesome. tool. Yeah, that's so handy. How about things like herbs? Where do they come into it? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, kind of building them into the the broths, the stews, yes. that kind of thing, using them like, you know, it can be quite a strong, almost like a tonic, um, mm-hmm. a really, really strong um, brewed um, concoction, I guess, um, or having a herbal tea. Like I'm a huge advocate for having a hot drink while you're breastfeed. So if you've got someone around, you're about to breastfeed, they make me a hot drink. Um, it really helps to stimulate your flow of oxytocin. So oxytocin, that love bonding hormone, is responsible for what we call the milk ejection reflex. So hmm. when milk actually flows out of the breast, um, and you need to be warm for oxytocin to actually take hmm. effect. You can't be sitting there in the cold or not have your socks on. That's why um, a pillar of postpartum health is being warm and maintaining that warmth. It's very supportive to the um, really abundant levels of oxytocin. And 
oxytocin is hugely important for counteracting stress as well. So the, the warmer you can be, it's a very practical way to um, support your stress response. So yeah, herbal tea throughout the day. I really love chamomile and I love nettle. I think you can't overdo it. And also raspberry leaf is a beautiful yes. herb for the new mother as well, just really helping with um, the uterine contraction. So eating that uterus back into place mm-hmm. after birth. Um, but yeah, the I love nettle because it's so nutritious um, and it's it's quite a neutral herb. So you can kind of build it into your, um, herbal blends or yeah pop it into your so you know if you're having a nice veggie soup you're not even going to notice the taste of it and then chamomile I think it makes a great latte so using it with a um, alternative milk of your choice Beautiful. and just simmering it on the stove a um, couple of tea bags a little bit of like if you want to do a bit of stevia or maple syrup and then a nice nut milk whatever you want to do and maybe even a um, nice tablespoon of coconut cream and that's a really nourishing, warming tonic as well to have um, that just really soothes your nerves and can support good sleep. So those mm. are some of my favorite herbs for um, just nurturing the mother. And then in terms of building milk supply, fennel is a really good one. Um, mm-hmm. So again, something you can cook with, you know, if you're doing like a chicken stew, you can pop fennel, um, preserved lemons, olives, that is beautiful um, with some roast potatoes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then there's other herbs like goat's roe, um, fenugreek. Also, you can cook with fenugreek as well. It's not always appropriate for everyone. Um, And the thing to remember about herbs is there's not always a lot of really great quality research because they're not as profitable as medication. So. Um, it is it's hard there's a lot of anecdotal um, evidence or yeah what we call galactagogues so substances that increase milk it is hard to find good quality research but I think if you feel like something's working for you um, and you're not getting any adverse effects I think it's you know a really nice gentle um, way to try herbs into your diet Mm -hmm. how about herbs that reduce supply yeah that's a good one too I just had a client who she came to me because she was worried about her milk supply and she we kind of dove into her diet a little bit and she told me how she just was obsessed with drinking peppermint tea and she, mm. I think she was having a minimum of three cups a day and wow. you know from from a sort of naturopathic perspective you would you would integrate three cups a day as a therapeutic dose for somebody yes. so yeah so, you know, being that consistent, um, we we do know that peppermint can have a down-regulating effect on milk supply. Um, so I say, let's just cut that one out for a minute and try, try. I got her onto the nettle instead. It's just a little shift and she's quite fine with it. Um, you know, when she's not breastfeeding anymore, when she's thinking about weaning, she can go back to enjoying her peppermint tea. Um, but, yeah, that was just one to keep in mind. Interesting. Um, and then sage is one um, that's known um, to interfere with hormones as well. And same with licorice. It's got a down-regulating effect on milk supply. So it's about the dose shame, you're having. Like, yeah, peppermint <laughs> and licorice, it's such a good like combo. Yeah, I know. And for after dinner as well, it's really nice. Um, yeah. But just, yeah, just I, hold off on it, like probably in excess, I guess. That's it. Like if it's something you're doing daily, you're having really consistent mm. doses of something, it's something to be mindful of. If you have a peppermint tea here and there, like don't do not panic. 
And then it's also where where are you in terms of milk supply? Like, is your supply really abundant and you're not you don't have issues, or are you someone who you know you've been really struggling to um, balance your milk supply with your baby's needs? Then you you maybe want to be on the more cautious side of things. Mm-hmm. So, are there then some supplements that you recommend for your clients to help with breastfeeding, even the ones that they can take during the pregnancy that are safe and ones that are postpartum? Yeah, I um I love prescribing, you know, practitioner only supplements. Um and even nutritional foods. Like I, I really like all my clients to be having some form of bone broth, um, if they're if they're not um completely plant based. Um and the a protein powder, a pregnancy protein powder. So I find that just implementing the smoothie into their diet during pregnancy getting into the habit of making a quick smoothie can really serve Mm -hmm. them well when they're very time poor with that new baby so whether it's prepping everything the night before and just blitzing it in the morning making sure that it's room temperature is really important so um we don't want to be ingesting that really cold Cold. um, because like you said you need the the body to be warm to be able to support the oxytocin Exactly. And also, you know, the, from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, the gut is very um, sensitive and recalibrating um, during that early postnatal period. So blasting it with a really icy cold smoothie mm. is um, not, not going to be great for your chi. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going to preserve yeah. the chi. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think just starting out with a, a good quality bone broth, um, a collagen powder and a protein powder, I think, everyone can um, benefit from that and then I really love um, a quality um, magnesium powder as well I think Mm. supporting the stress response and then also there's a bit of um, you know you can have a bit of uh, residual muscle tension from birth Um, you know if if you're finding yourself like in a sort of a uh, like a pushing position for a while I find mums can have quite a sore um, neck and shoulders and mm-hmm. if if they're not in a really ergonomic breastfeeding posture and they're looking down and they've got slumped shoulders then that can create heaps of strain and backache so I find having magnesium to really support the muscle health and basically the nervous system as well I think that is really beneficial um also like a nice quality dha omega-3 um Mm -hmm. babies brains are growing at an astronomical rate when they're breastfeeding so you know the brain matter is really um, reliant on those good quality fats Mm -hmm. good quality oils so having that um, if you're not eating fish and you know we're not eating raw fish during pregnancy you might be enjoying your sushi after your birth but it's not we're not seeing um, much of that good fish intake Mm -hmm. during pregnancy just with all the food safety guidelines um that are around about that mm-hmm. um yeah and then it just depends i'm quite like um individualized when it comes to prescribing so i won't sort of have a blanket approach for everyone yeah. so if i've got mums who are needing a bit of support with milk supply i might um prescribe a, a sort of more tailored herbal formula to what they're needing mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it just depends and how about the bone broth do you have a preferred brand uh, I yeah I like I find powdered is is more convenient so if it's mm. if it's convenient that's stopping you from being compliant I would go with a powder but I like the more bo- like the glue the glue um texture the one that you actually the one that's already kind of made yeah yeah it's just like. like really really concentrated so yes and it looks like milk when you've um when you've cooked like cooked it up I guess yeah. or, or added it with some hot water 
Um, but yeah, I find that one um, to be really nourishing and it's just not, not as processed. So I guess the least processed is possible. Like, um, you know, when you're postpartum, you're not really having time to make, make your own bone broth. Mm. Um, but it's something you can do during your pregnancy and freeze into ice cubes and then just chuck an ice cube with some boiling water and then that can be your mug of really nutritious broth for your um, morning drink or however you're liking to have it. Excellent. That's amazing. So in terms of um, your lactation uh, consultant services, what is it exactly that you do with your your clients when you're working one-on-one with them and how can people find your services? Yeah, great. Um, I love what I do and working with, I work with pregnant moms um, to prepare for breastfeeding. Like I can do a one-on-one session. Um, If you've had a breastfeeding experience in the past that's been really challenging or you're just feeling really nervous about breastfeeding for the second time or even the first time, I think Mm -hmm. booking a one-on-one session is a great idea. I do those virtually. And um, I see the bulk of my clients in their homes and it's usually within the first three weeks of the baby being born. Um, Like I said at the start of the podcast, we um, see a lot of nipple pain. So working um, with getting that positioning right, um, getting that latching technique super consistent so it's comfortable for mom and effective for the baby. And then I help parents understand their newborn cues as well. So Mm. what is their baby trying to say how to support their digestion, how to support their sleep, how to play with them in, in an age-appropriate way. Um, that's a really lovely part of my job. Oh, um, that's beautiful. So, yeah, and then the nutrition component as well. So we sort of do like a run-through of what their diet is like and what's going to be realistic moving forward to support their you know, postpartum journey, their healing journey from birth, and also sustaining a beautiful breast milk supply. And then I also give a lot of guidance around pumping Mm-hmm. So what what pump is right, how to, how to pump in a way that won't affect your milk supply negatively, um, you know, like as an overproducing milk and leading to some of those other issues like potential for mastitis or that really fast flow that the baby's struggling with. Um, and if your baby's needing a bottle, um, I can help with that as well and weaning off those triple feeding plans. So the, mm-hmm. the breastfeeding, the bottle feeding and the pumping and making breastfeeding feel a little bit more natural. Um, and then everyone can find me at, on Instagram at jwp.care. I really, um, try to put out really good quality educational content. You do. I find. Things that I'm trying to talk about um, in my clinic or um, with my one-on-one clients and in my workshops, I distill all that information into the carousel post and I find that that really um, helps a lot of families. And um, I'm also, my website is www.jwp.care and you can make online bookings or contact me through there. Incredible. Thank you so much for all of that. That's been super helpful. I just have... One more question, um, super quick, but how early is too early or too late or whatever it might be when someone's in their final trimester to seek your services? Like, is it usually a week that you're like, okay, you know, 36 weeks or something that you're like, okay, now's the time to like start to inter- start to learn the things that you need? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I like to see people around 33 to 36 weeks. I usually okay, 33 find- to 36 yeah, t- towards the end of the pregnancy, I think you're just so focused on birth and like your body's pulling you into that birth portal and trying to shut mm. all the noise around. So it's not the best time to kind of 
have that very logical analytical brain um that Mm -hmm. learning brain you want to kind of be shutting everything out by that point and if your baby does arrive early it's nice to touch base with a lactation consultant have some idea of what to expect and if you know that you are having an early birth either a scheduled cesarean or you're being induced for some pregnancy complication we can make um plans um for that so I can just shift that education to what to expect with a baby that's earlier and smaller um, and also, you know, what does pumping look like, what's the feeding going to look like in a, um, you know, sort of not so typical breastfeeding scenario. Incredible. Thank you so much for all your knowledge. I'm going to pop all your information in the show notes for people to find you and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great chat and I hope your audience really loves this. Oh, I'm sure they absolutely will. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jacinta.